Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Thank you all for tuning in and for your comments and encouragement and for passing the podcast on to your friends. It's been really evident. It's just been growing, and I probably got the most feedback I've ever gotten, even from just my own friends texting me, from last week's episode as I shared about my parents' 50th celebration and how wonderful it was to just get to crown my parents along with all of our family and friends for who they are and this marriage that is still standing the test of time, which is such a beautiful treasure in this life. And of course, it didn't hurt that the beautiful Beth Moore was my special guest. So if you missed that from last week, definitely check it out. It was such a true treat to get to sit down with her and get to reminisce on God's faithfulness together. As I prepared for last week's episode, I have to admit, I was so tired after the 50th celebration and the drive home. It was literally a whirlwind trip because we had to have Noah back to school on that Monday. And I wasn't sure what my podcast intro was going to be. In my mind, I was sort of going out on a limb by sharing the musical clips and the pieces from that night, honestly not knowing if you guys would appreciate it or find it helpful or interesting. So I was so blown away by how much it touched people. And it was just a good lesson, I think. Sometimes I think we forget that the things dear to us, when they're shared, it really strikes a chord in people. I think sometimes we also think that we don't have anything to offer, but when you sort of put yourself out there and offer your true self to people, meaning you living from your whole heart and sharing that with other people, even when it feels like a risk or like no one's going to get it or understand it, when we're faithful to do that, it resonates with people in a true way. It's just a good reminder that often we don't need to conjure up something to say, but when we really just share our true selves with people, whatever that looks like, it's meaningful and needed and encouraging to others. Each one of you have parts of your story that someone else needs to hear, even today, with that person you run into at the grocery store or the coffee shop. I think our go-to sometimes can be, they don't want to hear my story, or I don't have anything to say. But I was just reminded and honestly surprised all over again that our stories matter. Where we come from matters, and sharing that can really be such a beautiful thing. So I may have said this before, but I've been trying to write a book for about the last seven years. <laughs> Literally, it's just become kind of a joke with my friends now. They're like, ha ha, yeah, Christy, put that in your book. But the thing is, and you guys know how it is, I've been raising kids for 16 years now. And when I do have margin, I can't seem to quit this music thing, which I love. It's just the thing that's in my bones. It's in my marrow. I can't shake it. I write country songs when I'm in the bathtub. I write lullabies on the front porch about hummingbirds and red oak trees. I write lots of songs that no one will ever hear except Jesus. So that sliver of margin outside of Momville, music is and probably always will be my go-to. And I will say this. I know a lot of authors. They're my friends, actually, and I listen to them talk about their process, the writing, the editing, the amount of hours upon hours that it takes And it sounds a whole lot like writing music to me and the whole record process, but even a lot harder, actually. So I think, well, it would literally take a superhuman then to somehow write a book on top of all these other things that are just dear to me. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but I'm a part of a group called Worship Circle, and we mentor worship leaders on a monthly basis online. In fact, if you know worship leaders in your life who want to be mentored, it's a really beautiful thing. But I'm carrying that, and I'm leading at our church here locally, and also leading at various events and tour dates and starting a citywide gathering for women here in Nashville called The Well with some of my friends, which we're over the moon about. And so with all of that, on top of this music thing that I love, again, superhuman woman would have to appear for me to finish a book. So I just came to this point, kind of a breaking point really, that this podcast is my book right now. I'm just going to share my stories, things that I have written and have had tucked away, and just trust God with the book thing. This goes against every book agent's advice in the whole world, I'm sure, but I'm okay with that. There's some kind of a release in my heart when I think about just sharing it now rather than keeping it stored up for later. Besides, let's be honest, that the world we're living in right now, 
I want to take every advantage of literally being able to tell the stories of Jesus out loud and what a gift that is and how it unites us as believers. We need not ever take it for granted or hoard it for another time. This is what I have right now, and it's what I can use for more truth to be planted in people's lives. So even now, I just pray out loud, Jesus, be glorified in this and be lifted high in podcasts everywhere today that are causing beauty from ashes stories to rise up and bring healing to others. This week in my worship circle, the mentoring group that I was telling you about, I was sharing with the women how some of our most broken places in our lives can actually be the very essence of our truest and finest worship to Jesus, and how that can trickle down into our everyday interactions with people. I think we get it mixed up that the worship leaders, or the people of God for that matter, are the shiny people with their crocheted Bible covers and stuff. But really, the people of God, I think more of the woman with the alabaster jar. That's who we are. She anointed Jesus' head just days before his arrest and crucifixion. This woman, forgiven of so much, coming to literally pour out her finest and best, probably all that she had. And it was an act of worship. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, 13, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I think this goes along with the beauty of our Jesus stories, the ones we think no one wants to hear, or maybe it's the fact that we have been forgiven of so much that we don't exactly want to be known for the woman that did this or that. I don't know about you, but sometimes shiny seems easier. But somewhere right in the middle of our pruning story or the breaking moments, the not-so-pretty moments or even the unseen moments where we are being Jesus to someone, but it's not going to be celebrated by anyone really or blasted on Instagram, it's that space where the true worshipers arise in spirit and in truth and bring their all, usually crawling on our hands and knees, it seems. I was looking back on those breaking moments for me and how they shaped me in this place that I love to reflect on and recall on when I'm about to lead people in worship or even write a song. Because to lead people from that place is like breaking open that alabaster jar and pouring it on Jesus again. Leading people from that place is the purest form of worship that I know. You leading your small group or your children or your team at work from that place, it sets you apart. Having a ready list of ways on your tongue that Jesus has broken into your story and healed you and forgiven you and raised you up, that's living from your truest self. And those kind of coffee and lunch dates make a huge difference in someone's life. Often we're just too afraid to go there. Often it is expensive and it costs us something, mainly our comfort. But there's a fragrance that comes from our lives when we live that way. This goes way back for me. I owe a ton of it to my parents who somehow knew how to shepherd the gift that they saw in me to write songs. But had I known that the songs that I hold dearest to me would mostly come through pain and brokenness and excruciating pruning moments, I'm not sure that I would have ever aspired to be a songwriter. Yet crouched over the piano or tucked away in my bedroom is where I spent most of my childhood and teenage years pouring out my heart to God. The garage did have great acoustics, so I could often be found there many afternoons, writing songs while jumping rope and playing with the dogs and our kittens. Armed with pencils, a journal, a boombox the size of a kitchen sink, and a healthy supply of blank audio tapes, it was my secret world. It was pretty raggedy in, looking back on it now, but it might as well have been Alice in Wonderland to me. Gratefully, I didn't have the added dimension of social media to tell me otherwise. I had the advantage of not seeing what everyone and their dog was doing at that moment in the great big world out there. Besides, I didn't really have anything to say to that great big world yet or the character to back it up. I'm sure there would be many who would disagree, but I consider social media an enormous challenge that this generation and my own children will have to fight through and overcome on an hourly basis, maybe even minute by minute. While it has certainly connected a generation, and even more importantly, the church around the world for much good, it is still very much a vortex in which things can get lost. Things like one's vision, worth, confidence, purpose, and significance. Especially those who don't know what it's like to be made in the secret. 
that place worth striving to enter. One of the sweetest gifts that God ever gave me, and my generation for that matter, and I'm sounding really old right now, but it was the time to develop without being seen or known in a way that I wasn't ready to be seen or known. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to share some stories I've had tucked away for some time. Stories from the mundane, stories of the unseen moments that God has used to shape my life in my most formative years. And of course, you'll hear me probably mix in the ways I also see Him doing the same thing in my own children now. As I was saying, these are the places that I often draw from in order to lead people in worship or finish a song. Someone asked me once, how do you practice what you preach? Or in my particular case, how do you put into practice what you sing? And I told her it kind of reminds me of that age-old question, like which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I wonder if it's more that I can't help but sing about what I practice. And what I practice is actually just a response to what Jesus put into practice for me. I know that sounds kind of religious, so hang with me here. But if Jesus was the author of humility and serving others and laying down his life, as I live out what he put into practice for me, I experience it. And then a song comes. The songs come from the process and the practice of following Jesus. I believe this is what makes a song powerful. There's a song that I wrote a few years ago called For Your Splendor. It's a great example of how I lived it and then I lived to sing about it. It's about a season of pruning that took place in my heart. It wasn't fun at all, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I spent a lot of time in John 15 during that time because the scripture gives us this beautiful picture of pruning, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and the Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2 says, Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is necessary. No one loves this process, but it's vital. It's a stripping away of sorts, usually of something we thought maybe we would always have, a source of comfort maybe, or stability. Sometimes that thing has to go in order to birth something new and fresh in our lives. He later says in that same chapter, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I often say out loud to my friends and family, His way works. His way just works. It's so true. The degree to which I yield my life to the pruning is the degree to which I experience some of the sweetest joy that's ever come to my heart and the sweetest fruit I've ever known in my life. Notice I didn't say happiness or a life free of trouble. I said joy. Joy is a deep satisfaction and confidence, even in the midst of great pain. And the way I happen to express the pain of life and the joy of the process is singing. He keeps me singing. As I continue to look at the way He lived His life and I put it into practice, He keeps me singing. Should I practice what I preach? Absolutely. But make way for a new song. You all have something to share with someone around you today. It just takes availability and the sense to be present with them and really live and share from your true self. So sit and reflect today, even on some of the broken moments of your life. And like that alabaster jar, pour out praise and thanks all over again of what Jesus has rescued you from, what he saved you from. And thank God for how it humbled you and caused you to look to him in a deeper way, in such a way that it caused you to grow. And as you put into practice today his way of life, I hope something new is birthed in you. For today's special guest, and I do mean special, I'm going to rewind back a bit to the very first podcast that I recorded in this series. We haven't necessarily been going in order of how we've recorded these episodes because we like to keep in mind artists and authors who have books out at certain times. And since I'm creating all of this with women at the heart of it, of course, I wanted to have women guests right out of the gate. But today, you'll hear me and my friend Bob Goff at my kitchen table. When I first thought of doing a podcast, Bob was one of the first people to go down on my list as people that I wanted to interview 
Bob and his precious wife, Maria, have taken the concept of finding the glorious in the mundane to new levels in my book. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute. But it's just a joy to hear Bob talk about life, love, and family. I remember when I first met Bob, and you'll hear me even admit this to him, I honestly didn't know what to think. First of all, he sought my husband and I out several years ago. He literally just looked us up because he was in town, and he asked if we could just come hang out. We did, thinking the whole time that he had something he wanted to ask us or that he had some sort of angle. Well, fast forward a few years of Bob keeping up with us along the way, randomly texting us at the craziest times just to encourage us. One time, I kid you not, he texted and said something like, I'm in a boat on the Nile just thinking of you and Nathan today and wanted you to know that I'm so proud of you and how you're loving people well today. I mean, who does that? Bob has made a significant impact in the lives of many of our artists and author friends as he just takes the time to encourage people on the journey. It so reminds me of Philippians 2, where Paul talks about looking into the interests of others. Bob's availability to the generation coming up behind him astounds me, and it inspires me a great deal. I don't know about you, but I want to learn to be more inquisitive about people, about life, about the world we live in, and most of all, about how Jesus lived and loved people. So we're literally going to jump into my conversation with Bob at my kitchen table at our home in Franklin, Tennessee. I hope you hear something you needed to hear today, and mostly that it inspires you in these last hours of August. So this is this is the first time I've ever done this. Yes! So, How cool is it? Inaugural! Yes. Oh my gosh! So. That's great! Well, I just want to tell you, you're doing awesome so far. <laughs> like... Compared to all the rest of the ones you've done, how's this going? Oh, my gosh. Well, this is your best. Well, I mean, right? God knew that you were supposed to be the first person because you're. I think it will just be a no-brainer because you're just— It's two friends Bob. having coffee, right? Yeah. So that's it. You're amazing. So, well, I remember the first time we met and I out. We were in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, totally. And we didn't really know much about you, and so we came and just— sat with you. And that's, I think one thing I've learned about you is that number one, you just, you see people. That was the first time we met. And then every time after that, what I've been amazed at is that I don't know why I would think you, I guess that you wouldn't remember us, but you always, you always do by name. Um, And I've seen you do that with other people. Like, do you have a trick with Remembering people? No, some people, they say, you know, I pictured in sparklers across their forehead. I would just be calling them sparkler. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, uh, I'm never the smartest guy in the room, uh, but I'm, I always would think I'd like to be the most available person in the room. I don't yeah. think people follow vision. I think they follow availability. Yeah, and good. so that's not for everybody. That's not for, like, sweet Maria. She won't be the most available guy in the room. She wants to be the most available one to her family, mm-hmm. but not to everybody else. That isn't a bad thing uh, because unlike uh, many of us, me included times, she knows who she is. Yeah. And I think it's figuring out who you are mm-hmm. and then to say, where am I growing? What's the growing edge of this? And so for each of us, it'll be different. And hopefully these messages throughout the gospel mm-hmm. are true, that we're new creations, that we're always continuing to change. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to be. So you've known older versions of me, um, and now you get the newest one. And same for me. Like, I get the most current version of you and Nathan and meet your friends. I'm like, that's a good thing. I want to spend the rest of my days doing that. Mm. Almost like this. uh, Some people collect friends, right? And I want to, like, curate Mm. my, like, friends. I just want to surround myself with people who are doing interesting things, and they aren't all like me. Yeah. Like they want them to be very different. They, they could be leaders that believe things that are completely antithetical to everything I mm-hmm. believe. And that's actually been really good. And we were talking about curiosity. I just love that you're just finding that more curiosity. And you're stretching. So this yeah. would be a stretch? Yeah. Good for you. Way to go. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm excited about um, just a new season of life. And um, this is definitely part of it. Um, so you started out as a lawyer and you became, I don't know, when Darren, our pastor, so you spoke at our church in Franklin yesterday, um, 
And he, when he told the people that you were coming, he said, just so you know, I've never seen Bob Goff and Santa Claus in the same room at the same time. So he has his suspicions. So like <laughs> lawyer, humanitarian, Santa Claus. What was that progression like of like you started out as a, as a lawyer long ago? Yeah, yeah. So um, I got out of college and I wanted to uh, be a youth minister. Really? And there's this terrific outfit called Young Life. I love those yes. guys. And so I uh, wanted to go on staff. And so you raise your support, and then you go on staff, right? So I raised all my support and so said, so I have all my support, so can I go on staff? And they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It wasn't like they couldn't afford me. It wouldn't have cost them anything. So it was just good judgment on their part. And so that was like a no. So I just went to law school because I wanted to know how to I just wanted to know one thing that everybody else didn't know. Is I, I just wanted to know how to do something. Remember at guitar stores everywhere, they had a circle and a red line through Stairway to Heaven. Be like, <laughs> everybody knew that one little riff and it was driving everybody nuts, like workers' comp allowed. claims. Yeah. So I just wanted to know how to do more than just one thing. And so I stumbled into law. And I was a construction lawyer for 30 years. And I didn't pick construction law because Jesus is a carpenter. I Like, I just... Picked it because I thought it was interesting. And they built really tall buildings, and mm-hmm. some of them tipped over. And I thought, this will be fun. So I did that in L.A., San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, and Seattle for like three decades. Um, but one thing that changed when I was about, I bet, 41 or 42, I made it. It's always about a quarter of a twist that happens in our life. I bet the same thing happens with you, Nathan. Mm-hmm. It isn't a 180. It's just like a quarter of a twist. And I don't know much about wine, but I think they give them a quarter of a twist yeah. every once in a while down in the cellar. And um, the quarter of a twist for me is moving from practicing law to doing justice. Okay, yeah. And there's a big difference. Like practicing law, you make a, a barrel full of money. And uh, doing justice, you'll actually make a mountain full of difference. Mm-hmm. And so we started first in India and then uh, Uganda and some other places. So now we go around starting schools, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Because so my worst subject in school was school. But I'm like, <laughs> awesome, starting schools. So just figure out, um, there's things that you're able to do. You're able to sing. I'm able to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But what is it that we were made to do? Yeah. And if these promises of God are that we're continually changing, becoming a new creation, mm-hmm. then say, not what I'm able to do, but what am I made to do? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that'll keep changing. So a year ago uh, in March, I walked into this office, <laughs> two floors of a bank building in Seattle, and I said, we're done. <laughs> And they said, with what? I said, with all of this. I literally, I gave the keys to a guy who'd worked for me for 10 years. I said, it's all yours. You don't owe me a thing. And it walked away. I never came back. (laughs) That was awesome. I literally, I went home. Maria said, how was work? I said, work. (laughs) She's like, no. (laughs) But I'm like, I want to be changing. Who's the next version of you? And so as you and I, all of us in the room, like think about like, who's the next Mm -hmm. humblest version of us? Not old Bob. He's on the bus. Right. That new Bob. Right. So I uh, am spending my time now mm-hmm. uh, starting schools. Most of them are in war zones. So if there's mm-hmm. a civil war, that's a great place to just start something. And it's usually little girls that take, everybody takes a hit. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes it's young women yeah. that take hits. So we start schools and we fill them full of little girls and it's terrific. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it. Wrecked my career. Yes. <laughs> Made my life. Wow. What would you say to moms? I remember when my kids were little bitty and, you know, I had hope, all these hopes and dreams in me, you know, so that balance of like wanting to be present in my kids' lives, but having this dream set in me to, you know, write songs that help people communicate to a living God and and I didn't, I think at that point, I thought I had to com- compartmentalize all of it. Like, you, kids are here, you know, um, ministry's here. But I, over seasons of life, I've realized it can all be beautifully one messy thing sometimes, but a beautiful thing. Um, so what would, what would you say to moms who literally are maybe driving right now or in their cubicle at work and, you know, 
maybe they're a single mom or they're, you know, they have these hopes and dreams in them and they don't see it feasibly possible to make any of those come into fruition. But like, um, and the stuff that you're saying seems maybe so far out of reach, you know what I'm saying? Just for like the mom who goes home and has to put dinner on the table. And um, what would you say to her as far as like, not so much compartmentalizing, but like, how can that all look like? Yeah, there's two things that come to mind. It's uh, curiosity and presence. As you were asking that question, I thought being curious about everything. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go blow your daughter's mind? Go call the White House today. Literally, (laughs) the number is 202-456-1414. I'm not kidding. So just like be curious about that. That won't even cost you a dime. Like it's on your cell plan. (laughs) Like put hail to the chief just in case he calls back. But there'll be something really beautiful that'll happen. That's engagement. Just be like, and then presence. Sometimes we get like so scattered. I get it. We'll feel like marionettes. Like everybody's got two Mm -hmm. or three strings Mm -hmm. and we don't have any of them. (laughs) And we just say like, I'm just, you feel like you're just, not doing a good job at anything. And mm. so uh, under that category, to just not be so hard on yourself, yeah. just give yourself a little grace. You're yeah. just doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people in our faith communities, we really are pretty tough on ourselves. We make kind of loving God and sometimes loving our family a lot more complicated than God made loving our God and loving our families. Mm-hmm. So give yourself a little grace, but be present. Yeah, cool. Give you one thing that I do. I only know what I'm doing today, tomorrow, and the next day. I, I just, that. today, tomorrow, and the next day. Like they literally won't tell me. If you ask me, I don't know what day of the week it is, but four days hence, I don't know what I'm doing on purpose because I want to be all here and I'm absolutely all here right now because I'm not thinking about all the rest mm-hmm. of this stuff. And something has been super helpful. Marie and I have this softball. <laughs> We just play catch. And neither of us like baseball, which cracks me up. But we just play catch. And you actually need to be all present. If you're answering your cell phone, you'll lose teeth. Mm -hmm. So what just to be actually present. And you and Nathan, just toss the ball around. Say, like, let's talk about the day. That's great. And so to not be distracted. Mm -hmm. um, And one of the things that sometimes will distract us, depending on what the people that are listening do, is sometimes appointments. I find things that are getting in the way of me becoming the next humblest version of me. And I realized two and a half years ago, it was all these appointments I set. And so I just stopped. Like literally, can you imagine a lawyer that doesn't make appointments? I'm just, nope. So I just don't. When people call me and say, well, can we make next Thursday at three? I'm like, oh, heck no. But how about now? Like, yeah. like we're actually talking. Yeah. Um, so we can meet now or call me next Thursday at three. Because if I made the appointment, I'd be thinking at eight in the morning, I'd say, I gotta remember that deal at three. Right. Be thinking about it at ten, I'd be thinking about one. I'd be thinking of the three fifteen. I'd be like, why didn't they show up? <laughs> <laughs> Answer, I don't matter. So one of the things that mm. uh, by doing that, I just had so much room in my life. Mm. It's like that uh movie Hook, where you remember when Peter figures out who he is again, one of the lost boys like, there you are, mm. Peter. It was like I saw myself again. I was like living in my daytimer was calling all the shots. Mm. I'm like not letting that do that anymore. And it's not being like uh, being selfish. It's just saying God made me to be me and he did make me a bunch of appointments. Yeah. And But he made us to be available each in our own way. So, you know, I have my cell phone number in the back of one million <laughs> books. <laughs> And I just don't send people to voicemail. It's terrific. I get 100 calls a day still. I can't get a thing done. But there's something. It's terrific. (laughs) But there's something beautiful. Like you just answer the phone and say hello. You've just answered every question they have about Mm. like all of us. Right. They just want to know if it's really true. They hear this awesome song from you. And then they meet you. All they want you to do is smile Mm. and be the person they thought you were. And then here's the trick. Go actually be that person. I don't like say they have this one image of who you are and then have this duplicitous life. Just say like, go actually be that person Mm. or stop saying you're that guy and become the next version of you, whatever that is. But so be like consistent. We have a 
<laughs> we have people come in the backyard and they take pictures because it's in San Diego and mm-hmm. it's like the beautiful, mm-hmm. all this stuff on the surface. But I want to know 30 feet down. Like, just tell me, are we the same person on the surface right. that we are 30 feet down? And mm-hmm. uh, and when I meet people, I kind of wish we were talking about 30 feet down, not on the surface stuff. Because on the surface, I'm uh, an appearance of this. If somebody just, if their only point of connection mm-hmm. with you is singing beautiful songs, then you go like, that's certainly something I'm able to do. But then they get to know your family. They mm-hmm. meet this terrific guy, Nathan, and <laughs> hear what you're dreaming about and be like, ah. Oh, like that. And you can't do that with everybody, but it doesn't mean you can't do it with anybody. Right. So you good. just find your people. That's and there's good. room for eight of them mm. <laughs> around your bedside. Measure yeah. it off tonight. You got room for eight people around your bed on your last day here on earth. Aww. You do. Nine if they're thin. But <laughs> say, <laughs> and oh I've tried to goodness. figure out a long time ago, who are my eight? Wow. And if you don't have eight, go get six. Yeah. Or four mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Go get like one buddy. Jesus said he'll be there. You'll yeah. make it an odd number. Like mm-hmm. so what we do is surround yourself in your life with the people that will be with you on your last moments here. That's amazing. We uh, were talking earlier about you were teasing me about skydiving. Did you know I'm skydiving now? Oh, I'm sure you are. <laughs> That's so, what I was saying. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. We've got to go. Like, oh, really? (laughs) Like, go. um, I've invited a couple other friends May 16th. Oh, my God. Totally going. So um, what I learned is is this. Adam Goff, he's just nuts. He's just like, he's 22. You you can't lose your arm. He doesn't want to do it. He's that guy. And so he started skydiving. He took Mm. lessons. So every weekend, I would take him out to the airport. He'd put his parachute on, get in the plane, and go. And so... I started, I decided it was going to blow his mind. While he was at work, I took skydiving lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so the next time he went to the airport and he put his parachute on, I just pick one up. I put it on. Stop He's it. like, Dad, oh I'm like, how hard could it be? So <laughs> we got on the plane and we went up and just jumped. It was so fun. And here's the deal. I've passed the bar exam in three states. I mean, you take it for three days, 10 hours a day. They test everything you know about everything. Do you know how long the exam is to get your skydiving lesson? 30 seconds. Oh, my word. That's all you've got. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. So what you have to do is just obey the person for 30 seconds. And that's what I'm trying to do with Jesus. I'm just trying to obey him for 30 seconds at a time. Mm. Just say like for the next 30 seconds, if I meet kind of an angsty person or the kids, maybe there's a mom at home and things are just crazy. Could you obey God? Could you love that person? Mm. Might be your spouse for the next 30 seconds. I don't know about (laughs) the next 30 years, but for the next 30 seconds. And it's almost like I see in my mind, it's 28, 29. I'm like, okay, I got 30 more seconds in me. So if we could chunk up maybe during the most difficult time for that single mom that you're talking about, the one that's in the cubicle or at home with a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. could you, in the midst of all the chaos, like do the things that God talked about for you for Mm -hmm. the next 30 seconds? And that's really helpful. Everybody's got 30 seconds in them. That's amazing. So how many children do you have? We have three right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Adam's skydiving. And he's really forgetful, oh. which is really bad idea <laughs> for Adam. I'm like, pull the cord. Yeah. So, so we have, have three kids. Adam? Two of them are married. Okay. And uh, and uh, but I don't have any grandkids yet. But yeah. I'm ready. You have you have two girls. No, uh, or- Lindsay is our eldest, okay. and uh, she's married to a terrific guy named John. Uh, Richard Goff is married to this his elementary school sweetheart. Nice. They literally been touching knees since the fourth grade. And so they're married, and then Adam just got out of university. Okay, so girl and two boys. Yeah. Wow. What are some of those things that you guys realized you needed to be intentional about with them? When I, uh, uh, starting out as a young lawyer, like I'm working at this job, like everybody else, they have a job they go to. And uh, and the kids are like the size of trout. I mean, like, <laughs> you're just trying to keep right, them alive right. and fed and all that. But then they got to be like, you know, like three feet tall and they could talk and walk mm-hmm. around. And so I was a partner at this law firm by then. And so I told these partners of mine 
that I was going to leave for three months and hang out with my family. Mm. And they looked at me like I was on <laughs> drugs. They're like, no. Right. And I didn't argue with them. But on Monday morning, I wasn't there. Wow. And I came back three months later. And they were so mad. I'm like, sue me. Like, I just want, if you needed dialysis, you wouldn't wait for permission. You just go get what you need. And I knew what everybody else listening knows. We need our families. And not in the middle of the crisis. We need them then too. But before, like, and just go do stuff. So for the last 22 years, we take three months and Mm. we just go missing. And you'll take a hit. I've lost a couple good jobs, including that one. (laughs) But it's just awesome. I don't know. Like that idea, instead of just thinking about it, Mm. do it. You're not going to go hungry. You know, with me in the house, you in the house, we'll just, it might be Doritos that we send, but you're not going to go hungry. (laughs) You'll lose a job. You'll lose maybe two of them, but you get your family. Right. And what I'm discovering, because my kids are a little bit older than yours, so when we sit around the living room table, we have endless things to talk about. Like, right. remember the time that, and there's Stories. like millions of those because we just mm-hmm. did stuff. And they aren't the like fly to Europe kind of things. Or mm-hmm. like, I don't even know if my kids have been to Hawaii. But like, but it would be the remember the time that, right. and it'll just be in the mundane. It'll be in the yeah. beautiful SeaWorld in San Diego. It costs 85 bucks to get a ticket to it. It's like crazy. But you can go for one hour for free. It's called a shopper's pass. It's awesome. Not advertised. You just go to the ticket window and say, I want a shopper's pass. And they take your credit card and you have one hour. If you don't get out in an hour, they run the card through. So we'll all go as a family, get five shopper's passes, and you can actually see all of SeaWorld. But you got to be running. (laughs) And when I think of what it's like to raise a family, just you got to be running. And a lot of people are running hard, but they're not having any fun. Right. And so there's that wedding. It's just not silliness. It's like it's a strategic whimsy. Yeah. To say we do this because there's a bigger idea Mm -hmm. here that the more things that we do, the better friends we'll be. And we can actually trust one another enough that when we hit adolescence, Mm -hmm. we'll have like enough banked that we can get through that. Right. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, Is there anything that, is there anything that you and Maria say, like, I wish we would have done this different with the kids? I think uh, for us, if had we known something as a family, it would have been, it sounds strange to say, but I wish we knew more things would work. The times that we hesitated on something to say, gosh, I don't know if this will work. Mm. Uh, and so we didn't try. Yeah. Um, on reflection, I think I'm, uh, and I've done plenty of things that didn't work. I mean, you don't have enough time this morning for all, but <laughs> failing is just Tuesday for me. I mean, oh. I try stuff. And like, what are the chances? Like one in a million. But remember, like, dumb and dumber. So you're saying I have a <laughs> chance, right? So I've tried plenty of things, but I don't over identify with the things that don't work. Like, I just, that was just Tuesday. I tried. It didn't work. Mm. And I think I concluded early on that I'd rather fail trying than fail watching. Right. And so it's kind of the difference between putting your toe in the water and testing it and grabbing your knees and doing a cannonball. Mm. So we do probably more cannonballs and less toes in the water. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just I'm not trying to figure out the temperature. I'm trying to make like, Mm. (laughs) I'm not even trying to make a big splash. I'm just trying to get in the water. Right. And the good. best way for me isn't incrementally, mm-hmm. uh, but for somebody else it might be. So figure out who God wired you to be mm-hmm. and then just go be that. Yeah. I think you guys are the glorious and the mundane personified <laughs> for sure, which I just love. And there's just not a whole lot of people, especially down the road a bit. I'm not calling you old, but just down the road from us and a lot of people our age and a little bit younger, but just just how you you show that so amazingly. And you told me one time that um, that you like you bury things. Yeah, <laughs> like geocache a little grace for people, you know, like your family members. Just like 
find an old pickle jar and say, <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> and then give latitude and longitude so for it. Easy. So when they mess up, do it for your spouse, do it for your kids. And then when they, it, one thing that we don't do a lot of around our house is state the obvious. Can you imagine how much more time you'd add to your life if you stopped telling people obvious things? Mm. Just say like, actually, that's an obvious thing. I want to just say something that's perhaps a little bit less obvious. Mm. Um, it would be uh, the thing that they didn't notice about themselves. Uh, when go, I've got an idea. Go get a bunch of marbles today and then walk into your kid's bedroom every day and tell them one more thing that you like about them, that you've seen them in action, not just your swell and drop the marble and leap, but to say, that time I saw you just amazed at that squirrel on the porch, and that was like really beautiful because you had like you paused to do that. Keep doing that, girl. Mm. And then put that marble in there. When they leave for college, you're going to leave all the teddy bears you got them behind. They're going to take their jar full of marbles. Mm. And the roommate will say, like, what do all those mean? Those are all the things my mom and dad told me they liked about me. Like what? It, and it's these prompts, like these things that remind you of who you are. In the Old Testament, they stacked rocks. Yeah. They wanted people to go there and remember that's where God showed up. Mm-hmm. And I just want, if we could do that, it's just a little bit of whimsy. And it's, sometimes people think, well, there's an economic barrier to like getting, like we've got to fly to, heck no, get a bunch of marbles. Mm. Write me. <laughs> I've got your address. I'll mail you marbles. Like just literally <laughs> just start doing that and yeah. like move it from the category of like, we ought to do that someday to do it. Go bury a jar and tell your kids you're paying for all their student loans. <laughs> if you change your mind, just don't tell them where it is. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's amazing. To say I don't recall. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's amazing. So um, you love to spread love into other parts of the world and just tell me about what are you doing? Like, what are you working on right now somewhere that's not in America? Yeah, so um, there's a a school in Uganda Mm -hmm. that will uh, be at 500 students and 50 teachers. They're the number one school in the North. Isn't that fun? So... uh, so that, we've got a school in Somalia. There's mm. 150 little girls there in a safe house. Mm. Um, there's an orphanage and a school in Nepal. And we've got a school for Yazidi kids in Iraq. Mm. And so uh, there's one going in in Nicaragua. They're putting the roof on right now. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in Congo, which is this uh, largest armed conflict right now mm. on the face of the earth. Six million people have died. In it, so there's a forest in the southest jungle where uh, the rebel groups, many that were the part of the genocide in Rwanda, then went there and they're all fighting with each other. And so we're trying to put a school right in the middle of the jungle and invite all the warring rebel groups to send their kids. <laughs> Can you imagine parent teacher conferences? <laughs> they're going to be so rowdy. So <laughs> we have a uh, be so we have a banner in our office that just says it'll never work. <laughs> wow. So sometimes just like facing your sure. failure, but the <laughs> subtitle to that whole thing in our lives is that yeah, if God's wind is not at our back, mm. it'll never work. Mm. But let's try anyway. Right? Let's fail trying. Mm. So we're gonna start. There's uh, uh, it's underway. Like right now, mm. we just do the first things and then the next thing and the next thing. And they don't always work, but we'll just try. That's so and great. we'll see what will happen. That's just amazing in general for anyone. It doesn't always work, but it's it's worth trying. Yeah, try. And then mm. there's something about like loving your neighbor. Yeah. Like start across the street. You don't that's, have to go to Congo. Like great. maybe you don't even need a visa. Like just go across the street mm. and give them a cupcake. Yeah. Really good. Invite them over, like make some cupcakes. Use your discretion. If they're not the people you need, ought to have in your house alone, right. like right. then don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on the porch and run. Mm. But what if we just really just started uh, with a person on our left and the right and in front mm. of us and just find some simple way to acknowledge? Do you ever use Google Alerts? It's like mm-hmm. non-creepy stalking. You know, like put somebody's name in. There, I did a Google Alert on my name. Anywhere it comes up in the net, like, I get an email. No way. There's a guy in the Midwest named Robert Goff. He's a crook. He's uh. all- 
<laughs> he's always getting arrested. I'm like, he apparently isn't very good at it. So what I do is I'll meet somebody, uh, an unschooled ordinary person or a person in power in a country. I'll do a Google alert and every time their name pops up, if they're speaking at the Organization of American States, I'll like drop them a note. I'm like, hey, knock the cover off the ball. Good wow. on you. Like, there's just like, a, a, only take a second. Do you remember back in the day, there was a guy named Keith Green? Yes. Yeah. When he, I wrote him a letter before there was the internet. No way. <laughs> I wrote him a letter. He wrote me back three sentences. I can't, I don't even know what the sentences were, but the fact that he wrote me three sentences made so much of a difference to me. Wow. Like, loving people is not that hard. He picked up a pen, licked a stamp, Wrote me three sentences. I get a couple hundred emails a day. You know what everybody gets from me? Three sentences. You know why? Keith Green sent me three 30 years ago. And if we could just say, what are the things that have actually moved you in your life Mm. that actually mattered? Go do that. (laughs) If that's that's you, if it's consistent with who God's made you to be, then Mm. just go do that. Find the simplest thing and then just trade up. That's great. Well, last... um so I don't think anyone will ever not associate you with balloons, which is so great. Um, thank you, you should pick thank what you. people like choose wisely, <laughs> like what people associate with you, like lizards or uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you for being balloon person um, because we are forever grateful. But um, you do a lot of really serious work, um, you know, in all of these different countries and um even prosecuting witch doctors, and you've even helped educate them through um, this process of also kind of trying to spread the love to them, even though you're prosecuting. But, like, um, what's that like to, you know, balloons versus, like, sometimes wanting to literally go hide somewhere and cry for what you're experiencing, you know, what you're seeing, what you're uncovering, and being in witch doctors' lives and things like that. Like it's, um, but you're always joyful. And so I know where the joy comes from. I, I, I totally get it. But like, what's that like to carry something so heavy, you know, and, but also be balloon guy for all of us. It's, it's um, incredibly inspiring. So what's just, what's that like? So uh, a number of years ago, uh, we started taking these witch doctors who were, sacrificing children Mm. in the Republic of Uganda, we started taking them to trial. And we tried the case. We tried the first death penalty case Mm. in the uh, Uganda in its history. Because people are afraid of these guys, but we're not afraid of them. They're punks. That's not bravado. That's Mm. just Jesus. Mm. And um, we tried the case, but we've been reading. I'm trying to move away from just agreeing with Jesus to actually doing what he said Mm. for 30 seconds at a time. And he said to love your enemies. And I actually would rather agree with him and have you just love yours. <laughs> but right. I think he, so there's a bad guy um, who's my enemy. And I just, I, I sent him to death row. Um, but the thing that's been working on my heart is to love that guy. So I just started visiting him mm-hmm. uh, on death row. And then, I don't know, I think we both ended up changing. He ended up coming to faith. I ended up moving from just agreeing with Jesus to actually doing what he said. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've been sending out word on the Bush radio that uh, that I'm coming and I command every witch doctor as the consul general for Uganda, I command you to meet me in the king's hut. And they come. I met with 900 witch doctors. Wow. So is that crazy? And they're yes. creepy dudes. I mean, they look. They make dolls that look like me. <laughs> and they stick stuff in them. It's probably why I can't see out of my right eye. So... <laughs> The uh, but I uh, will do stings. We'll do a sting in the morning. We have uh, watches that are actually cameras and pins mm-hmm. and all that, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll um, we'll sh- show these videos to all the witch doctors assembled of these bad guys. And we'll say like, if you even talk about sacrificing a kid, it's over for you. Mm-hmm. You will never be seen again. And we just try to terrify them, and then I wash their feet, wow. which terrifies me because I'm not a toe guy. <laughs> What do they do? Oh, it's we're all freaked out. Oh, I bet. But I asked them, what do you guys need? And they said, we don't know how to read or mm. write. 
And so I started a witch doctor school a year and a half ago. (laughs) Right now, there's 250 witch doctors in witch doctor school, and they're learning how to read and write. And the only books they have are the Bible and Love Does. (laughs) They've been reading their textbook. And there's something beautiful that happens. I'll I'll wrap up with this last thing. I usually get my first phone call at like 5 in the morning. It's always some guy from Atlanta because it's 8 in the morning there. And in San Diego, it's 5. I got my last call at midnight from two witch doctors from witch doctor school. Mm. And they said, a little boy's been abducted. And they've taken him under the bush for a child sacrifice. But we know where he is. Mm -hmm. Should we go get the kid? And I'm like standing on my bed in my boxers. I'm like, get the kid! And four hours later, I get a text message from these two bad guys. And it says, we've rescued the child. He's with his mother. And the last two words of the text message, it said, love does. Wow. And so if we could start seeing people the way that Jesus sees them, he sees us for who Mm. we're becoming, not who we were. But we got to get off this high thing of like shooting arrows at everybody. Mm. Just get to know their names. And just be in it. It involves some change perhaps for them, but it involves a bunch of change for us, and it doesn't cost you a penny. It's just like it'll cost you your pride. Wow. Incredible. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, that was great fun. I'm going to teach you how to take depositions. It's going to be awesome, and you're doing a great job. You really are. (laughs) It sounds just like you. That's what I like. It sounds just everything I know about you. This sounds just like you, which is terrific. Bingo. Nailed it. The person they do three flips and then they spike it in the Olympics. That's you. It's you. I so hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bob today and that it just inspires you to make yourself available to the people around you in some way today. You have something in your life that's worth sharing. By the way, a few weeks after we recorded this episode, a package arrived at the house. In it, I found candy, tiny inflated balloons of all colors, and a colorful little tin full of marbles. Along with it was a note from Bob encouraging me to start that marble jar for my kids. Such a sweet reminder to be on the lookout for the glorious and the mundane. If you want to find out more about what Bob is up to, you can find him at bobgoff.com. That's G-O-F-F. And can I just tell you how excited I am to say that we are 100% funded on my Christmas project. Joy to the world. We cannot be more thrilled and grateful and honestly blown away. (laughs) Blown away at God's faithfulness through the kind-hearted people like yourselves investing into the thrill of hope. You can still pre-order the Christmas record, this is a little hint, through midnight tonight, and then that will go away until we release it this Christmas season. So grab your copy, and any extra that comes in will go to pay my husband who is the producer on this record, who hasn't taken a dime for the last few months while he's been working so hard on this record. (laughs) So, for real, Nathan has been working so hard, and I'm so, so grateful. Um, Anyway, keep up with me and the next podcast coming your way on christyknuckles.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Christy Knuckles, and I'm on Facebook as well. Y'all have a glorious day, and I'll talk to you soon.